Hi, my name is Stefan Christoph, and this is Cultural Workers for Palestine, an interview series that I am sharing monthly. These interviews highlight the work of cultural workers, musicians, and artists around the world who are doing frontline efforts that explore the intersections of the arts and the movement in support of Palestinian liberation and freedom. On the broadcast this month, I will be sharing a conversation that I had with Karim, who is Checkpoint 303. Of course, this project has involved many artists over the years, and it is a very groundbreaking project that in the early 2000s saw the launching of a bunch of beat-oriented music that sampled and included field recordings from Palestine, from the checkpoints, from the lands that are occupied by the Israeli state uh, through the Israeli military. And Checkpoint 303 has continued over many years. In this conversation, Karim and I talk about his experience uh, with this project and supporting Palestinian freedom. And also, Karim speaks about his work as an artist, an artist from Tunisia, and the connections between Tunisia and Palestine. I think this is a really important conversation. It is a long-term cultural project that supports Palestine. So this is a perfect way to launch this monthly interview series of cultural workers for Palestine. So here's my conversation with Karim from Checkpoint 303. I remember first hearing Checkpoint 303 doing community radio and we were doing these um, transmissions from the international solidarity movement Mm -hmm. from Palestine. All these activists from around the world had gone to the West Bank to participate in like campaigns of direct action um, around the olive harvest um, to protest Israeli state-driven home demolitions. The olive harvest Israeli state-backed settlers were attacking Palestinian farmers during the olive harvest and we were recording conversations both with Palestinian activists and international activists that were on the ground to amplify uh, the realities in Palestine and the injustice of the Israeli occupation. And we would record these dispatches from activists and we wanted to find some music. Of course, it was beautiful to play Feruz or Marcel Khalife, or um, great, amazing artists without question. But we also wanted to have something more contemporary for some of these reports they were doing at CKT Community Radio in Montreal. And I don't remember exactly how we came across Checkpoint 303, but it was just perfect because this was something contemporary. And I remember wondering, wow, this is a great project. And also, this was in the early 2000s, so there was very few things like this. So it's cool to be talking to you today. So how I remember first encountering the project. Um, so maybe you could... Um, introduce yourself and 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 the work that you do creatively well first of all thanks for having me i'm I'm super excited to to be having this discussion with you um so yeah so my name is kareem um i'm uh, the producer behind checkpoint 303 or hajj um i'm of tunisian origin i grew up in tunisia um and our project basically started uh well now maybe 10, 15 years, no, probably 15 years at least now. Um, And the original idea we had was to 
to try to raise awareness about uh, what is the uh, injustice that is uh, ongoing in Palestine by combining field recordings that we made in Palestine with electronic beats, oud, and some 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 uh, other instruments, um, and it was a way for us to to be able to talk about uh, what is going on in Palestine and the occupation, uh, but also to do that as you were just saying in a contemporary way. We also listen to Feirouz, um, we also listen to uh, you know Shikhimem and others, and we actually sampled some of Shikhimem, for instance, in some of our tracks. We have a track called Zaytun where we're using uh, samples from Shikhimem, uh, but mixed with jungle or drum and bass. And so that's the, the vibe, because also we wanted to produce music that we enjoy listening to, or we you know, enjoy um, um, having. And so it felt that, it, you know, to us it made sense that it's both the message, but also deeply also about the music aesthetics. Um, and also by Somehow we felt that by uh, using this medium, um, the message would uh, be more accessible to many more people around the globe. So, our, you know, we were invited to do gigs in you know places like Sweden or Australia or Japan or, or in the US, um, and uh, and that was an opportunity that probably we would not have had if our music were based on. Uh, only on lyrics in Arabic and traditional Arabic music, for instance. Uh, uh, beside the point that I would not be able to play that, <laughs> but but um, this gave us an opportunity and like gave us a center stage. And you know, I think one of the early highlights of Checkpoint 303 was um, the fact that we got invited by Massive Attack and the U and, and the UK to perform opening gigs for them at, at uh, three dates in, uh, there. And I think um, that also gave us some visibility um, and you know encouraged us in the way of, of knowing oh, well this is probably. Uh, a nice way to mix both electronic, down-tempo, breakbeats, drum and bass, but also with a message that f for us is really very important that we wanted to share with everybody. So the message can be he heard in the field recordings for sure. How did you first register these sounds from Palestine coming from the Tunisian context? And I know that you had some Palestinian collaborators. Yes, exactly. So the starting point was uh, at the time I was living in Paris uh, and a friend of mine who was also in Paris, who's Palestinian, uh, whom I also had met in Tunisia before that, uh, moved to Beit Lahm, Bethlehem in, in Palestine. Um, and so I saw that as an ideal opportunity to actually have um, field recordings recorded by uh, my friend Yasser, uh, who was uh, sending me recordings um, uh, from Beit Lahm, but also from Ramallah, uh, from Jerusalem. And then we just started experimenting with that. Um, so he was, we used to call this sound catching and sound cutting. So I was a sound cutter and he was a sound catcher. So he would, he was SC Yosh and I was SC Moshe. So he would be doing the sound uh, catching, sending me the sounds over to Paris where I was living at the time. Um, and I was slicing up, remixing and exploring ideas with, with those sounds. Um, yeah, so that's the, that's the way it started. And then afterwards we started to diversify the, uh, the, the uh, audio snippets that we use. We started to include, for example, um, excerpts from um, radio programs. Um, from, um, there's like a, a radio channel in, um, in Beit Lahm, um, where, um, for example, we just recorded uh, excerpts from uh, the horoscope that they were giving. And then we used that, we sliced that up and used that with the, on drum and bass um, talking. The idea, again, was not to... It was really important for us that we don't only try to 
turn this into reporting on occupation and war and injustice and oppression directly and explicitly, but to do that also implicitly by talking about the positive aspects of life, the laughter, the joy, the aspirations, uh, and also the hope that people have, and also just general life struggle. So that's why, with, for example, the horoscope was a great example because uh, the person on the radio was telling people about whether they have chances of you know, succeeding in exams or what their love, like, uh, love life is going to look like in the next week or so. And so, so to us, that's a very strong connection to humanity. Everybody goes through those thoughts, has those you know, questions about how the exam is going to be or if they're going to find love or, you know, or financially what's happening to me. Um, and that's something that all of us can connect to, all humans connect to. And we felt, you know, by contrast to the mainstream media that only talks about Palestine in very specific conditions, we said, no, you know, Palestine is way more than that. And so we wanted to cover a, a broader perspective. And I think we continue to do that in our recent productions where uh, our sources uh, that we use for the music that we remix um, come from a wide range of, of sources. They can be from movies, they can be from radio, they can be field recordings, um, archives. We use a lot of archives. Uh, yeah. um, just for context also, I mean, these uh, this process began before I'd heard a lot of contemporary um, musical sound works that were involving field recordings. Of course, that was a practice that existed. But today, it's very uh, widely practiced, which is cool. But I'm. this is also in the early 2000s when you first started releasing, which was before Bandcamp. Also, internet connections were much slower. We had MySpace at the time. It was MySpace was still around, yeah. Respect. <laughs> um, so you've kept this project going for a long time, uh, which is awesome. Um, and the issues remain uh, and you know the story of Palestine the many stories of Palestine can, um, continue to um, be uh, present today often outside of the headlines there's moments where Palestinian stories are shared uh, but that's not common so maybe just talk a bit about like your view on the ways that um, these types of stories, Palestinian stories, but also other stories of uh, communities experiencing systemic oppression, not just the, the violence of systemic oppression, but also the creation of life, the creation of sustenance and, 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 and joy despite those conditions. Um, the importance of those types of musical works today because there's this moment now where there's a lot more awareness about these issues um, but um, you're not doing it necessarily through lyrics but more through soundscape and and yeah can you just talk about your practice in this contemporary moment because things have changed a lot yes uh, that's a great question so first um, regarding the um the early beginnings of mixing field recordings and, and music at a time where, as you say, there wasn't not a lot of that. I would I would still say that I think one of the inspirations, at least for me personally, uh, is um, growing up listening to Pink Floyd and then to Roger Waters and then Roger Waters' album Amused to Death. I can I can very much remember how much it impacted me when I heard that for the first time. It was a very politically charged album using field recordings and except from radio and stuff like that. And I, I remember that stuck with me. Um, and so more generally, um, 
I, th I feel there's something universal about uh, music that doesn't necessarily have lyrics that you need to understand in a specific language. So it makes it more universal, but also it makes it more challenging because I think audiences, there's, there's a larger audience for obviously music with lyrics. That's sort of the mainstream. Most cases have lyrics. So if you don't, you're already in a niche. And you know, I remember some people in Tunisia back in the days that were struggling trying to understand. So it's like your music, can we call that like soundtracks, like for movies or what type, what, what is that music? Um, but um, I think nowadays we hear more of this, so it's becoming more acceptable. Um, I think it's an, a way of doing audio documentary, but mm. still in an aesthetic and pleasing or an interesting vibe. So it's like reporting, but you get to choose what you want to talk about. So you still have a message, but I think field recording are, are very powerful, can be at least for, uh, I hope it's for many people, but it can be very powerful because there is something about, at least for me, when I hear field recordings, just let's say um, uh, a souk somewhere where you have the people selling their vegetables and yelling and talking to each other and you know children walking by sure. shouting um, that immediately immediately transports you to another world and I think that can can do it in a, in a stronger and a more impactful way than lyrics so you just and so it allows us using field recordings mixed with electronic music and with uh, other instruments like the oud that I play, that allows you to sort of take people on a journey. And then it's like inviting them to a journey. And once they're invited to this journey, I think we listen up more and we maybe open our minds, hopefully, as if you're actually traveling somewhere and you want to know more about what's going in these places. And so then when the message comes, or sometimes, again, we don't try to give people ready messages. It's an incitation or an, an, an invitation to think about something that they maybe did not think about so much, or something that they took for granted that maybe they need to revisit. Um, growing up in Tunisia, obviously, I'm the first person not to want to do anything that could sound like propaganda. So we were not telling people, this is what you need to think. But hey, maybe you should think about this and maybe what you're getting from mainstream media is not the only way of looking into this uh, issue. I think that's true for Palestine, and uh, but it's also true for many other uh, situations. And we have also published work uh, and released an album uh, where we, for example, just after the revolution in Tunisia, we have an album called uh, Sidi Bouzid Syndrome, which is an EP, where we also, in that case, we were sampling sounds from the streets in, in Tunis, uh, but also the streets in uh, Qahra and Cairo, but also from, um, from Syria. And so it's sort of, again, through field recordings, trying to document a moment in time and inviting people to think about it. And it's probably interesting to listen to this type of, of, of these types of recordings 10 or 15 years down the line. Now, it's been a while since uh, the revolution in 2011 in Tunisia. Um, you know, as you know, there's a lot of um, mixed feelings, a lot of disappointments um, and, um, you know, re-questioning what we used to call the Arab Spring. Um, and so I think just rec recordings like these they just capture a moment in time and they might have also some form of documentary historical value um, in the future at least I hope well in a way also when it's it's similar what to when you're listening to the radio when you hear hear a field recording all these images happen in your mind you're sort of imagining the place which is the images aren't being fed to you so there's a creative part that's 
happening on the part of the listener too. Um, a bit like reading a book, a bit like reading a book, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Rather than seeing the movie. Yeah. In the book, you have all you know. You, some of the imagery might even be more, uh, you know, just stronger in your in your mind. Respect. So, I mean, by the way, so we're. Karim and I are sitting outside in Montreal in Marché Jean Talon, so there's some noise just for context. We're not in a studio or something. But um, so you mentioned the Tunisian context, and I, I, I think it might be important to highlight a bit um, where you're coming from uh, and you know your relationship to Palestine. I mean, the relationship to Palestine for Tunisians. Uh, of course, is different for everybody, but there's a profound relationship between Tunisia and the Palestinian struggle that is complex and it can't be summarized quickly. But if you could, just want to open that door for uh, for you to share a bit, a bit about that. Yes, absolutely. So there is, I think, uh, in general, strong solidarity between the Palestinian uh, people and the Tunisian people. Um, Tunisians have been very supportive of the Palestinian struggle. Uh, again, it's difficult to generalize, and I'm not talking about politicians, I'm talking about the people. Um, even artistically, there have been a lot of, of interactions. Um, Rim al-Banna um, you know, was a friend of Tunisia, so he came very often to, uh, to Tunisia and sing in Tunisia. Um, I had uh, the chance to collaborate with her too. Um, Palestinian singer. Yes, the Palestinian singer, uh, the late Palestinian singer Rim Benna. And um, so, yes, there's that. And, and I think from my personal story, um, I, I grew up um, watching the news uh, and um, at a very early age, I was really uh, a tiny kid when, when I saw um, uh, images of the massacre of Sabar and Shatila. Um, and I also, in Tunisia, we had um, um, hosted many uh, refugees from Palestine. So I got to meet Palestinian people. And, you know, I, I think over the years, and this is something that I say now and again, I feel like, you know, my blood is Tunisian, but my heart is Palestinian. And that, for me, um, also when I had the opportunity to go to Palestine and spend some time there, and we had some performances in Palestine, that, um, to me, strengthened this, this feeling that, um, you know, I... I, de I definitely um, have, um, it's a, like sort of a natural urge to express in any way I can and as much as I can and I hope for as long as I can this deep uh, solidarity and um, trying to uh, collectively with other Palestinian artists, with Palestinian artists, with musicians from around the globe, not only from Palestine, to try and raise awareness um, about the injustice uh, in Palestine. Um, so, yeah, this, this, for me it's like um, a, a deep feeling that we, it's, a, it's just a, an immense injustice um, and that has going on for far too long. Um, and it seems that, um, you know, when, when you look at um, apartheid in, uh, in, in, in South Africa and, and the fact that people still nowadays struggle to see those parallels between what is going on in Palestine and, um, and what was uh, happening in South Africa. To me, it's, it's because there's a lot of uh, political and um, powers behind the scenes who want to make sure that um, the statu quo is maintained or even that situation gets worse um, for Palestinians. And I, and I feel that, you know, sometimes we say, well, you know, as artists and musicians, do you really think that whatever you do is going to change anything on the ground? Uh, and that's a, that's a very tough question because I think at the end of the day, 
no. Specifically, sometimes it's hard to continue producing music uh, or doing other arts um, form uh, when you see the the killing that is ongoing, uh, the killings and the injustices that are ongoing, and you just feel that this is pointless. But I don't think we have any other choice than to express solidarity and hope that we can amplify movements. Um, and so to go back to your question, I think um, grow up, growing up in Tunisia, having many Palestinian friends and having been myself to Palestine, this has nourished my feeling that I, I, re I really want to continue as long as we can through Checkpoint 303 or other projects to express strong solidarity and amplify the message and the need for justice in Palestine. So also, you know, often there's a feeling at least, you know, talking to a lot of people where I live in Canada, which is occupied indigenous territory. We're in Montreal, Geogiagi. There's this feeling that, oh, well, you know, we need to develop a sympathy for Palestinians because of this, you know, systemic injustice. Um, the Tunisian context is different because also there's a lot of uh, daily struggles that people face in Tunisia, right? And, and they're not always in the headlines, but whether it's economic injustice, whether it's, um, you know, the, the different regions that are like less, um, there's much less development in terms of like the distribution of resources, which led to a lot of the protests that led to the overthrow of Ben Ali. Um, but yeah, just, just highlighting a bit more sort of the different cultural and political context that a Tunisian artist encounters Palestine from. Yes, so there's definitely the, the specific Tunisian context. Uh, context. Um, nowadays, we're, we're facing um, a very um, populist regime with Qais Saied and the situation is, is not looking good and um, we have um, a, um, a regime that um, many would rightly call uh, racist in terms of the, some of the remarks that we've been hearing from the head of the, of the government. Um, so it is very problematic and again I think this, this is something that um, artists should stand up against um, and so I would say, you know, I, I go back and forth between Montreal and, and Tunis, so I have family in Tunis. Um, it's, you know, sometimes I feel that I would like to be able to do more in terms of activism um, that is directly focused on the situation in, in Tunisia. Um, but I, I just, you know, I, over the years, um, my main project and focus has been Checkpoint 303, and that has been taken uh, like, uh, most of my time in terms of uh, in terms of energy. And but but I but I see these intersections, um, and I think there are intersections. And I think it's about at the end of the day, it's about justice, um, dignity, and justice. Um, and then we can talk about peace, and we can talk about other things. But I think it's all about um, you know. There's this interconnection, and this is why uh, over recent years I've been also uh, interested in exploring intersectionalities between um, uh, trying to, you know, combat and work against injustice, and try to uh, explore how this manifests in different conditions and situations, and the solidarity that arises across different contexts from facing the same issue. Before you mentioned, you know, the 
fact that there are forces at play in relation to Palestine. I mean, let's just make that non-mysterious. I mean, the Canadian government maintains a free trade agreement with Israel. They get, um, they've gone through a process, the Canadian government, to create preferential treatment for Israeli businesses. There is a common interest there in terms of like a colonial style of extractionist uh, politics and economics. Uh, the United States, of course, funds billions, many billions every year to the Israeli government. Just for, just for context that things don't happen in a vacuum, there's very known and clear and uh, facts about why the Israeli government has so much military power. It's not just happening in a vacuum. That was a conversation with Karim from Checkpoint 303, which is a long-term cultural project that has mobilized in many ways over the years through music and soundscapes, uh, also live performances, um, that has seen the expression of solidarity and support for the Palestinian struggle for freedom. The project revolves around electronic music, sampling of voice, but also field recordings from the ground in occupied Palestine. It's an awesome project. Check it out, Checkpoint 303. I'm Stefan Christoph, and I produce this monthly interview series called Cultural Workers for Palestine. We air on the first Monday of each month on Radio Al-Hara in Palestine. They're at radiohara.net and are going to be airing throughout a network of community radio stations. So stay tuned for that. You can find the archives for this project at soundcloud.com slash freecityradio. Thanks for listening and I'll speak to you next month.